This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This is the Relic Radio Show, back with you this Tuesday with another hour of radio drama. We'll begin with Theater Royal and hear their episode from January 16th, 1954, titled Little Louise. After that, it's Dangerously Yours and Windward Passage. Their story from October 1st, 1944. The National Broadcasting Company presents, transcribes, Sir Lawrence Olivier in Theatre Royal. This is Lawrence Olivier. Today's play is based on a short story by Guy de Maupassant. I myself shall be playing the part of Joseph Remade, who tells the tale. The story takes place in France. As we have no wish to disconcert the citizens of the capital city of Arkansas, we have altered the title, which it is heretofore gone by, Little Rock. Here, then, is our play, based on one of Guy de Maupassant's best-known stories, a tale of crime and retribution, which we've called Little Louise. My name is Joseph Renardet, but to the villagers of Carvelin, I am always Monsieur Le Maire. The Renardet family have lived at Carvelin going on for 300 years, and our house, Fox's Tower, is one of the landmarks of the neighborhood. It stands in a wood which overlooks the river Brindel, almost a little fortress, and from the tower itself, the whole countryside stretches away like an enormous estate, though actually my family owns no more than a couple of hundred acres. I was standing on the terrace one morning a few months ago when my housekeeper came up to me, obviously very distressed. Oh, excuse me, monsieur. And what is it, Marie? Is something wrong? It's Mederic, monsieur. He'd like a word with what, you. Mederic, the postman? All right, Mederic. What's the matter? You look upset. I'm, I'm sorry, monsieur le maire. Down there in the wood by the bridge, I was on my rounds, coming up to the tower, and I came upon it suddenly. Came upon what? The body, monsieur le maire. It was lying there under the trees. A body? Whose body, man? I, I don't know, monsieur. It was lying there on the moss in the bushes. First, I, I found a needle case. Then a thimble and then a penknife. They were glittering in the sun, just as though they'd been dropped by someone. I picked them up and I, I thought, someone has lost these. I'll give them to monsieur le maire. So I went on, keeping my eyes open for anything else. And then suddenly I, I came upon it. The feet were just in sight from the path. What a body, you say? It, it looked like a young girl, monsieur, only partly dressed. It was lying there by the bushes on the moss with, with a handkerchief over its face. I, at first I thought, she's asleep. Then I thought, no, that's funny. Asleep at eight o'clock in the morning, in the woods like that. And then I, I went up to look where it was. And I couldn't see for the handkerchief over the face. So I touched her hand to wake her. The hand was cold, cold as ice. And I thought, 
She's dead. And I ran up here all the way to tell you, monsieur. You did quite right, Médéric. Only you say you, you don't know who it was. No, monsieur, I... I didn't like to lift the handkerchief. Oh, monsieur, perhaps it's her, little Louise. I heard this morning early that she was missing. Madame Rock's daughter. She hasn't been home all night. Madame Rock was very upset and told the milkman. What, little Louise Rock? Surely not. All right, Médéric, come and show me at once. Now you have the bailiff, the doctor, and yes, yes, the clerk. Come out to the woods immediately. Tell them I'm going down there now with Médéric. I want them to come at once, you understand? At once! <laughs> I went off with the postman there and then. He led me down through the trees to a thick clump down by the riverside, not far from the bridge. It was a short cut that he took each morning with the letters down by the side of a broad stretch of river that we call the pool. The poor man was very excited, and it took him a few minutes to find the place. When I saw it, I refused to touch anything until we'd been joined by the others. At last they arrived, and the doctor knelt down beside her. He lifted the handkerchief from her face. Oh, dear. Look at that. Little Louise Rock. But what? Her face. It's all blue and swollen. She's been strangled. You see the marks on her neck? Strangled? But who could do such a thing? I mean, she's been murdered. Obviously. She's been dead. Oh, I don't know, maybe 12 hours or more. The body is cold. Why? Who would want to murder That is for the police to say, Monsieur Le Maire. Somebody must have attacked her. Yesterday. Mm. Where are the rest of her clothes? Her dress and her shoes and stockings. Better go and call the magistrate, Monsieur Putois, and ask him to call the police at once. Yes, Monsieur Le Maire. But who could have done such a thing? Little Louise Rock. Look, her dress must be somewhere about. Perhaps she's been bathing in the river or was just going to bathe. A lot of people in the village do. I shouldn't really, of course, not on my land, this side of the river, but I never objected. Why should I? Princette, go and look along the riverbank. Perhaps you'll find her shoes or something. Little Louise Rock. Who could have done such a ghastly thing? Why, she's almost a child. The four of us searched the bushes and the long grass down to the water's edge for the next hour. But we found nothing at all. The magistrate arrived, and we told him how the body had been found. And then three gendarmes arrived from Louis Le Tour. By now, the news had spread all around the neighborhood, and the villagers had gathered in a little crowd on the river bank. At last, the moment came which I had been dreading. We were told that the girl's mother was there. We led her to the spot, and she knelt beside the body of her daughter. <laughs> Madame Roff, when did you last see your daughter? Oh, she went out for a walk yesterday afternoon with Le Maire. We had been working in the field, and it was very hot. I went back home to make the supper, and Louise went on by herself. She promised she would be home by seven. When she never returned... Madame Rock came to see me early this morning, Monsieur Le Maire. She said that her daughter had been out all night, and I began to make inquiries for her in the village. Then we got your message, and I came up here with the doctor right away. It happened sometime yesterday evening, I think. The girl must have been dead since about six o'clock yesterday. About six o'clock? I was down towards Villon, taking a look at the wood felling there. I was on the way back when you called me over, Vernier. Yeah, that's right, Monsieur Le Maire. That must have been uh, shortly after six. The man uh, just finished for the night. Monsieur Le Maire was coming up the lane from Villon. I called out to him to ask him about a large beach that we've been having trouble with. Have we these strangers been seen in the district? There have been a tramp or gypsy. I haven't heard of any. We must ask. 
Princep, ask in the village if anyone has seen any strange men around here these last few days. Half the village appears to have come out here already. There must have been a tramp or someone. I simply can't believe that anyone in the village. <laughs> Poor old woman. She's a widow, isn't she? Yes, her husband died a few years ago. It was just her and the girl. Right. Who could have done such a thing? I can't understand how anyone could kill a harmless girl like that. What had she ever done? You can't always find a motive for murder, Miss Elmer. At least, not a personal motive. Sometimes people kill in anger. Sometimes they kill in fear. Whoever it was, I'll send him to the guillotine if it's the last thing I do. What are the police doing about it, anyway? Have they finished searching yet? We're going through the whole wood, monsieur. Hmm? Maybe the man dropped something as he ran away. Uh, yeah. This penknife and, and needle case and thimble. I found them over there, about 20 yards away. Oh, Louise, Louise. Ah, yes, they have. The, the penknife as well, madame? Oh, yes. She had them in her pocket. She used the Perhaps knife to cut out of her field. pocket as she ran away. I don't think so. I don't think she was wearing her dress at the time. I'd say she was going into bathe or had been into bathe and was getting dressed again. You see, her hair is uncombed, so she must have been bathing. She was getting dressed when someone came up to her. Yeah, perhaps she screamed, and he strangled her to keep her quiet. Very likely. Well, in that case, what about the penknife and the rest? Why should they have been found over there? If they were in the pocket of her dress, and the murderer was taking her dress away with him to hide it, they may have dropped out of the pocket without his noticing them. Why should he want to hide the dress and the shoes and the rest? Why hide those and leave the body here in the open for the first one who came this way to find? Maybe just to mislead us. We'll find out that when we've got our hands on the oh, man. Monsieur Le Maire. Yes, madame, what is it? We'll do everything we can to bring him to justice, whoever he is. Oh, where are her shoes? Her wooden shoes. Her wooden shoes? Her sabots? She was wearing them. <laughs> where are they? Well, he must have taken her sabots along with her dress to hide them. Listen, madame, you must tell us exactly what she was wearing when you last saw her. Oh, please, monsieur. Please give me back her little wooden shoes. I have nothing at all to remember her by. My poor little Louis. We all know them, Monsieur Le Maire. Old Jacques in the village made them for her last spring. We should know them anywhere. Yes, Monsieur. Everybody in Kavlan knows them. All right, all right. When we find them, Madame shall have them back. I promise. But what are all these people doing hanging about here? Half the village must be here. Go on, move away. Get back to the village. You're only getting in our way. Go on, all of you. Uh, some of them can help carry the body back to the house. You don't mind, Monsieur? Uh, no, of course not. But, but you mean up to the tower? Yes. Oh, no, really. Can't you take her down to the village? You know what it is. The servants will be terrified. You you know how superstitious they are. Uh, yes, of course, yes. of course. Now, come along, all of you. Uh, Midori, uh, take Madame Rock back home. The rest of you come with me. I must get my report made out. Uh, you too, Monsieur Le Maire, if you're free. Of course, anything you wish, Monsieur, but I, I still can't believe it. Who could have done such a horrible thing? Poor little Louis. <laughs> After the taking of one or two depositions, we all sat down to lunch. The magistrate, the chief of police from Louis Latour, the doctor and myself. Needless to say, the murder of Louise Rock was the sole topic of conversation. And all manner of theories were put forward as to who could be responsible for the crime. As a matter of fact, we all ended with the same opinion. The murder must have been committed by some tramp who happened to find the girl as she was dressing after her bathe and who strangled her to stifle her cries. But the next day proved that the theory was wrong. Ah, Joseph, the most extraordinary thing has happened. What do you mean, about the murder? Yes. You remember Madame Rock yesterday, how she kept harping on the fact that she wanted her daughter's shoes to remember her by the little wooden sabots. Yes, yes, yes. They found them? Yes, they've been found. Guess where? By the riverside, floating in the river somewhere? No. They were found this morning on Madame Rock's doorstep. When she opened the door at six o'clock... There they were, side by side, on her steps. Is she sure they're her daughter? Absolutely certain. 
Not only the old woman, they've been positively identified by some half a dozen other people, including old Jack, who made them. I see. Well, what do you make of that? Isn't it obvious? They can only have been left there by someone who heard her say that she wished she had them for a memento. Dozens of people heard her say that. Half the village was standing there listening to yes, her. Yes, indeed. But there was only one man who could possibly have known where they were hidden. You mean the murderer? Yes, the murderer. Mm. Everyone had spent the day looking for them. They must have been carried away from the scene of the crime by the man who committed it. Therefore, he was the only man who knew where they oh, were. Come, come, come. Someone may have found them, wherever it was that he hid them. Then why leave them like that, anonymously? Why not come forward and say, I found the sabot, maybe the missing dress as well. They were, whatever they were. I see, yes, yes. So? It can mean only one thing. The man who committed the murder was there yesterday when the old woman was asking for them. Therefore, he must be one of the people of this village. Who do you suspect? I don't suspect anyone yet. But we know that the field has been narrowed down considerably. There can only be about 50 people who could have committed the crime. And nearly all of those people must have some reasonable alibi. We've now got to find the one who hasn't. Very well, let's go through the whole list, starting with me. My dear Joseph, this is no time for jokes. In any case, you said yourself. You were over towards Veal at the time, and the bailiff confirmed the fact. No, we can room both of us out of it to start with, for I was over at Rui Le Tour. But that is where the magistrate was completely wrong. He had been in Rui Le Tour at the time, but I had committed the murder. In a moment, we continue Theater Royal with Sir Lawrence Olivier. There's a special treat in store tomorrow on NBC when noted maestro Arturo Toscanini conducts the world-famous NBC symphony in the opera Un Ballo in Mascara. A host of distinguished operatic artists will follow the baton of the famed conductor in Verdi's brilliant melodrama. Tomorrow's concert from Carnegie Hall will present the first act of the opera, which will be continued at next week's performance of the NBC Symphony. Keep posted on what's new in the world of arts and sciences on Collector's Item, a complete and up-to-date review of culture all over the world, followed by the new dramatic series on the rebirth of the South, Heritage Over the Land. In this program, a host of top NBC newsmen join to bring you the drama of America's South, with on-the-spot reports on every area of progress in this land of tradition. Later, there's fine comedy drama in store, with Hume Conan and Jessica Tandy in the warmly human series, The Marriage, when Liz Marriott acts as a substitute parent to one of her daughter's friends, only to have her interest boomerang with a hilarious twist. And then you'll want to join another NBC first on the inspiring Sunday morning show, Never Walk Alone. You'll hear vital talks by noted American clergymen, along with some of the world's greatest music. So remember, tune in for the lineup of fine entertainment tomorrow on NBC. The search for the murderer of Louise Roque lasted nearly all summer, but the crime could be laid at nobody's door. First one of the villagers found himself under suspicion, then another. But all of them managed at last to prove their innocence, and the police could get nowhere. Whenever the evidence began to point convincingly in any direction, I managed to help the poor unfortunate man to clear himself. I had no desire that the horrible crime should ever be charged against an innocent man. But as the months passed by, gradually the hue and cry subsided. For after all, the life of a country village must go on. 
Well, nobody can say that it's been a bad harvest. In fact, I can remember only one as good in the last 35 years. It must be a good one. Even the peasants are admitted. Yeah, well, I must say I can't complain. I've taken more bushels to the acre down towards Villon than I ever remember before. And then timber must be fetching a very good price. Timber? Why timber? Oh, you needn't trouble to look so innocent. News gets around the country, oh, you know. You mean the timber that I'm cutting down by the river? Of course. Oh, I heard yeah. from Duchesne at the sawmill over to Wheel at all. After all, we know how proud you are of your beaches. Those down there by the river are the finest trees on the whole estate. I suppose they are. I haven't been offered very much for them. Why are you selling them? Why strip your land and spoil a really wonderful view from the terrace? Well, I don't deny that I have a few regrets about it. And the view always was a favorite of mine. But somehow, since, well, since the murder, I've never been able to forget what happened down there. I remember that if there had been no trees... Louise Rock would never have gone bathing there, and if she hadn't gone bathing, she would probably never have been strangled. True enough, yeah. I suppose. Well, ever since I realized that, I've, I've been able to take no pleasure in them, the trees, the view, or anything. I suppose you think I'm just being foolish or sentimental or something. Anyhow, I decided to have the trees cut. Oh, I wouldn't say you were sentimental, Joseph. Just a bit more sensitive than the rest of us, that's all. <laughs> In a way, perhaps, Monsieur Pietroin, the magistrate, was right when he described me as hypersensitive. For the last few months, I had known no peace of mind. My thoughts and dreams had been haunted by the terrible memory of that day in the woods, the evening when I had suddenly come upon her, had lost my head, and had killed her. As the fear of discovery began to lessen, a new, a far more terrible fear began to take its place. It was the fear of always seeing the girl's twisted and agonized body lying there on the ground at my feet. That was why I had decided to strip the woods in the hope of losing her ghost among the fallen leaves. Well, Monsieur Le Maire, another good day of it? Good. Very fine timber, all of it. A pity to cut it in some ways. Yes, in some ways it is. You've been having a bit of trouble with this one. By the giant, isn't it? He's been working on us since seven o'clock. Well, we're nearly through with her now. Good, I'll stay and watch you fell it. Uh, it won't be long now, Monsieur Le Maire. By the way, wasn't it somewhere around here they found that girl in the summer? What was her name? Uh, um, Louise. Louise Rock. Little Louise. Yes, it was somewhere around here, as far as I remember. A bad business. Unbelievable that anyone could do such a thing. There's a man who must have a lot on his conscience. Yes. He deserves to die, if ever a man did. Look out, monsieur! She's nearly gone! Oh, better get back a bit, monsieur. He's a big piece of timber. Come over here a few yards. I'm all right. I want to see her fall. Look out! She's coming down! Now. Get back, monsieur! Get back! Monsieur, come back! Come back! Oh, is he all right? No, I was not killed. As the tree fell, a branch struck me and knocked me off my feet, but it flung me clear of the rest. I lay there stunned, gradually returning to a consciousness of the fact that I must still go on living. I had deliberately stepped into the path of the falling trunk, hoping to die in my turn where I had brought death to that poor girl. But I was not to die so easily. Monsieur Le Maire, are you all right? Are you badly hurt? Thank you. 
I'm I'm not hurt. I'm I'm not hurt at all. I'm only a bit shaken. Oh, dear. I thought you were killed for a moment. You seemed to move towards it uh, as it fell. I I must have lost my balance. I I was watching the tree falling, and and then I... Let me help you back to the house. You're as pale as though you'd seen a ghost. Am I? Yeah. Take my arm. As pale as a ghost. As pale as a ghost. The ghost of a young girl who lay there dead on the marsh under that very tree five months before. I knew that I could go on no longer. Wherever I turned, I saw her stretched out there at my feet. Her face horribly blue and swollen. The sound of her last strangled cry ringing in my ears. Well, I had tried to give my life in retribution, but it was not to be. There was no such easy way out. A dozen times I tried to take my life, ever since I knew that I should never be able to sleep again. That the sight of that poor twisted body would haunt me until I confessed my crime at last. I'd sat there night after night with a loaded pistol on the table before me. Time after time, I'd forced my fingers to curl around the trigger and taken the barrel between my teeth. But it was no good. I lacked the courage to die. Sooner or later, I should have to confess my guilt to the world. Come in. Can I get you anything further, monsieur? No, thank you, Marie. That will be all. Have you any letters for the post in the morning, monsieur? No, there are no letters. Good night. Good night, monsieur. A letter. Yes, that was it, a letter. A letter in which I could confess, could tell the whole story, or such of it as I dare tell. If I were to write my confession in a letter and post it to Putoin, the magistrate, confessing everything, telling him that it was I who had murdered her, that I had made up my mind to kill myself, that he was to burn the letter when he heard of my death and tell no one, then I should have to find the courage, for there would be no way out once the letter was posted. dear friend, it has taken me many months to write this letter, and only a sincere remorse for what I have done could bring me to write it at all. Ever since that terrible evening, the evening when little Louise Rock died, I have been haunted by the overwhelming knowledge of my guilt, for it was I who killed her. I came upon her suddenly down there in the woods. She had been bathing in the river and was getting dressed again. I had a foolish idea to give her a fright, to creep up and catch hold of her without her knowing who it was. I crept up to her, but she turned round and saw me and screamed. I caught hold of her, but she was terrified and wouldn't stop calling for help. I utterly lost my head. My hand closed over her throat, and before I could help myself, she was dead. I was in a panic, for I suddenly saw what I had done. I laid her down on the moss and covered her face with her handkerchief, with which she had been drying her hair. Then I took her dress and little wooden shoes and buried them under some dead leaves. Then I took the shoes round to her mother's house and left them there. It was all I could do. My dear friend, when you read this, I shall be dead. If the good name of the Renardes means anything to you at all, I beg you to let my secret die with me. I can never atone for what I have done, but at least my death will prove to you that my repentance is sincere. Try to forgive me in your heart. Joseph Renardé. When I'd sealed and stamped the letter, I took it down to the letterbox myself, there in the wall by the entrance gate to the drive. The moon was brilliant above the trees. 
and the fallen timber down by the river lay there like so many rigid and tortured ghosts. But I was afraid of ghosts no longer. In the morning, I should have killed myself. A fall from the tower that should be made to seem like an accident. And that last night, for the first time in four or five months, I slept without any fear. Good morning, monsieur. It is eight o'clock. Thank you, Mary. What sort of a morning is it? A beautiful morning, monsieur. Did you sleep any better last night? Yes. Yes, I slept perfectly. By the way, what time does Médéric come to collect the post from the box? Nine o'clock, monsieur, on his way to the village. Uh, thank you. I want a word with him. I must Shall hurry. Shall I have the boy fetch him up to the house, uh, No, 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 thank you. I'll walk down to the drive and wait for him. The walk will do me good, I think. Suddenly I saw quite clearly what an utter fool I had been. The death of little Louise was over and done with. Forgotten, and nothing that I could do would ever bring her back to life again. Why was I making this confession with, when, when nobody in the world suspected me? Nobody in the world need ever know. I, I'd acted like a fool, given way to a fit of nervous exhaustion which had already passed. If I got the letter back, there would still be no harm done. I dressed and hurried down the drive to the letterbox. But Medric was there before me. Oh, uh, good morning, Medric. Oh, good morning, Monsieur Le Maire. Fine morning. Oh, Medric, I, I posted a letter last night to uh, Monsieur Putois. I, I find I forgot something. Let me have it back, will you? Oh, that's all right, Monsieur Le Maire. Uh, sure. It's in my bag somewhere. Hmm. You all right, Monsieur Le Maire? You look strange. No, no, no. No, perfectly all right. I, I hurried down the drive, that's all. Uh, come along. The letter. The letter? Yes, the, the one you're to give me back. Addressed to Monsieur Poutois, the, the magistrate. Yes, yes, man. It must be there somewhere. Give it to me. Well, I'm not supposed to give back letters that have been posted. Uh, once the letter's give posted... Give me a fool. Open your bag at once. Here, let me look for it. No, Monsieur Le Maire. Let me go. I, I can't have anyone touching the letters that have been posted. It, it's against the regulations. As but you I know, tell you, the letter is mine. I, I don't want it to go. I, I want it back. Don't you understand? Give me that bag. I can't do it, Monsieur Le Maire. It's as much as my job's worth. Once a Give it me, you idiot! Give it me! I, I can't do it. Let go of that bag, Monsieur. Listen, listen, listen Mary. This is absurd. You, you, you know my writing. I'm not trying to conceal anything or take anything that doesn't concern me. You open your bag, you find the letter there. Now, let me have it. That's a good fellow. I'm not allowed to do it, Monsieur. Now, look, Medric. Nobody need know anything about it. Here's a hundred francs for you if you do as I say. I'm not allowed to take bribes. A thousand francs, Medric. No, Monsieur. I'm I'm taking that letter to the post office. If you care to come and see the postmaster... Don't don't do that, Medric. Five thousand francs I'll give you for that letter. Not for a million francs, Monsieur. I'm an honest man. Don't give me that letter. I'll take it from you by force. Here, Monsieur Le you fool! Give me the letter! No. Help! 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 Give me the letter. Are you a white man? What on earth is uh, the matter? He's gone mad. He attacked me because I wouldn't give him his it's letter. It's mine. It's a my letter. Give it to me, please. It's mine. Give, give it to me. Right, Don't let him have it back. Yes, Medric. You did quite right. My letter. Come along, Renardé. No, give me. I'm afraid that I too know my duty. My letter. Give me the letter. Give me back. Give me back. My letter. <laughs> 
hear again from Sir Lawrence Olivier. Here's a reminder to stay tuned to NBC's lineup of fine Sunday listening. You'll hear everything from cover stories to feature news on NBC's exciting two-hour edition of Weekend, your Sunday newspaper of the air. The only paper you can safely enjoy while driving in your car. Enjoy accurate commentary on all phases of world news headlines with such notables as Merrill Muller, Elmo Roper, and Earl Godwin. Tex and Jinx McCrary keep you posted on personalities and fashions in the news. And Mel Allen will be on hand, too, to cover the world of sports in company with a host of other top names. That's Weekend, tomorrow on NBC. This is Laurence Olivier again. I should like to thank the cast in this adaptation of Guy de Maupassant's story of Little Louise, who included this week Robert Rietti, Daphne Maddox, Alexander Gage, Donald Bissett, Russell Napier, and Harry Taub. I shall next week again have the pleasure of introducing another play. Until then, au revoir, and thank you. Lawrence Olivier starred in today's transcribed program. The script was by Derek Patmore. The music was under the direction of Sidney Torch. Theater Royal is an NBC presentation produced and directed by Harry Allen Towers. It's the big preview next on the NBC Radio Network. Vicks, makers of Vicks Vapor Rub and Vicks Nose Drops, presents Dangerously Yours, a half hour of romance and adventure, starring Victor Jory in Windward Passage. Here's a good thing to remember when you catch a cold. The best-known home remedy for relieving miseries of colds is Vicks Vapor Rub. And now... I am Adventure. In my name, men have traveled to the highways, the byways, the skyways of the world. I am the challenge of the unknown, the lure of the sea, the haunting call of the north wind. I am dangerously yours. Today, walk the decks with a man whose name was the terror of the Spanish main. A man who filled his ship with Spanish doubloons and whose scowl made brave men tremble. Henry Morgan, buccaneer of the Windward Passage. Captain Morgan. What do you want, Broken Root? What's the delay? You heard me give the order to fire. Aye, sir, I did, but yon ship is English. The crew don't like it, nor do I. We signed on to fight the Spanish. Who is in command here? You are, sir. But we're already in disrepute with Sir Thomas Modiford, the governor of Jamaica. And if we take an English ship, it's... It's piracy, sir. Then let it be piracy. And as for Modiford, I'm sick of him. He's had his share of every prize we've taken, and yet last week he hung four of my crew. Hawkins, are your guns laid? Aye, sir. Then fire! Fire! 
Yes, come in. Well, what's the cargo, Broken Rude? Was it worth our while? The ship was the Amaryllis, Captain. Oh. Fifty-four days out of Falmouth for Jamaica. The master's name was Davis. He'd a crew of 35 and... Stole the details, mister. I asked you what she carried. I was coming to that, sir. Her cargo was mostly cloth goods and barreled pork. Pork. But there was also 500 guineas in gold and... And what? And a lady, sir. A lady? Aye, sir. The lady Judith Lacey. Bound for Jamaica, she says, to marry Governor Thomas Modiford. Well, I'll be... <laughs> a lady to marry Modiford. Great smiles on us, Broken Rude. Here is our revenge on the governor. Begging your pardon, sir, we... We have no actual proof that Modiford has betrayed us. No? Four of my men rotting on gibbets are proof enough for me. He damns me with his right hand while he robs me with his left. He orders me to attack the Spanish and then writes the king that he can't control me. And now we have his bride. Bring the woman in, mister. Let's have a look at her. You sent for me? I asked you if you sent for me. Can't you see I'm writing? Writing? Well, that's quite an accomplishment for a pirate. Do you also read? I have hung men who provoked me, my lady. And I have no particular objection to hanging a woman. You sound as though you might enjoy it. I wish you'd light a lantern so I could see you. You should, you know. It's very bad for your eyes, writing in this dim light. You're very considerate. Boy, fetch me a lantern. Aye, sir. Are you Lady Judith Lacey? Yes, sir. All right. I'm Captain Henry Morgan. Well, well, Captain Henry Morgan. Just fancy that. And it used to be just Henry. And let me see. Your parents, if I remember, were honest, God-fearing folk of Glamorganshire. And when you were a boy, you loved birds and flowers. What the devil are you talking about? You had a roving eye for the little girls of the Shire. One in particular. Surely, Henry, you've not forgotten Judith Bray, who played with you in your father's orchard. Judith Bray. Judith Bray? Here's your lantern, sir. Give it to me. Aye, sir. Hold it close to my face, Henry. Look well. Judith Bray. Yes. You must have known we'd meet again sometime, somewhere. No. Although a very long time ago, I used to hope we would. What did we quarrel about that night you ran away from Glamorganshire? Your bad temper, if I remember. I was only a lad at the time. You were 17, and the handsomest boy in the Shire. So this is what you've been doing these past 15 years. You married your lady Lacey? Yes, I married. His name was Sir George Lacey. A kind and very honorable gentleman. He died two years ago. Why did you run away, Henry? Well, I wanted to be on the sea and I wanted to get away from you. I was beginning to think about you too much. Some women gnaw at a man's heart, but you gnaw at his brains and his insides as well. Were you in love with me, Henry? I always wondered. I used to pray that you were. First, when you were there, because I wanted to make you happy. And later, after you were gone, because I wanted to make you unhappy. I had great hopes for you, Henry. I thought you were born to stand high in the world. I do stand high in the world. High. You can say that to me when I find you lurking in the windward passage for a helpless ship and a, a woman. You. Why, you're a cutthroat and a scoundrel. You who could be great are something to spit on. It's fortunate for you we're alone, Judith. 
If my men were here, I, I'd have to hang you for that speech. You can't frighten me, Henry. Why, you stupid oaf. My mother used to patch the seat of your ragged breeches out of pity for you. Go on, hang me if I anger you. It'll give you a good evening's sport. Broken road. Aye, sir. Call all hands, Ralph, and then hang this woman to the yard arm. Hang her, sir? Yes, hang her. And, Lady Lacey, I'll send the rope and the lock of your hair to that sniveling Modiford of yours. Sir Thomas? Yes. You didn't know I knew about that, did you? No, I didn't. You're not even as smart a pirate as I thought you were. But since you feel that way about Sir Thomas, why don't you set a price on my deliverance and let him ransom me? I'm no good to you dead. Captain, the lady has an idea. Maybe this is the chance we've been waiting for. Perhaps this is the means of getting the ships and the men to sack Panama. Panama? Yes, Panama. The richest city in the New World. The pride of Spain. How say you, Captain? Ships and provisions in exchange for the lady? You'd make such a trade for a fling at Panama, wouldn't you? Yes, I'd make such a trade for a fling at Panama. But not for the mercy of this woman, nor the gratitude for England, nor love for Tom Modiford. I've had scurvy treatment from them all. But when pieces of eight and jewels lie waiting to be shoveled up, I'm the man for the spade. Is this then a reprieve? Yes, for the present. Then I owe you no thanks for my life, and I shall offer none. And now, if you don't mind, it's become very stuffy in here. I'll go back to my cabin. Good evening. Oh. You look very beautiful with your hair down. Get out of my cabin. Is it your usual habit to enter a lady's room without knocking? Yes, if the lady leaves her door unbolted. What do you want? I just thought I'd inquire how you fared. We're almost to Jamaica. We'll be in port by morning. And your shoulders are even softer than I remembered, Judith. Take your hands when off you're me. you're angry, you're even more beautiful. Get than out of my cabin. Not without what I came for. What's that? A kiss. Would you kiss a woman against her will? Yes, and enjoy it. Why, you clumsy oaf. You murdering pirate. You may force a kiss upon me, but you won't enjoy it. You liked me to kiss you once. Yes. Once I did. But you were different then. You had charm for a woman. You're a cold baggage. I hope I am. I want to be. I stuck my fingers in the fire once and got burned. Pretty badly. I made up my mind that would never happen again. You see, I fell in love with an ambitious man who had no time for love. That was Lacey, I suppose. No. His name was Morgan. And now, if you'll excuse me, I bid you good night. Your burns healed, I take it. Yes. But the scars are there to keep me from making the same mistake twice. Now get out of here. Because if you touch me, I'll scratch your eyes out. Very well. Good night, Judith. Good afternoon, Governor Modiford. It's a pleasure to be in Jamaica again, and it is an honor to have you aboard my ship. Yes, my, my visit is no honor, Captain Morgan. No? I'm here in response to your note. If you harmed one head of Lady Judith's head, I not only see you hanged, I see you drawn and quartered. Not so fast, Your Excellency, not so fast. The lady has not been harmed, nor will be, if we can reach an agreement. What do you mean? 
Uh, what do you want? Something you should also want. You see, I plan to take Panama. Huh? And a treasure that amounts to some ten million pounds. I want twenty ships. Provisions for two thousand men for three months. Five thousand barrels of powder and several thousand flintlocks. <laughs> You're mad. You're absolutely mad. No. No more, no, I can't consider it. It's, it's too great a risk. I see. All right, then. Lady Judith stays with me. Don't be a fool. Other terms can be arranged. I'm afraid not, Your Excellency. Well, well, well now, uh, let us examine this proposition of yours a, a bit more closely. Uh, let us hear your plan for capturing the city. Good. We'll attack by land. Here, let me show you on the map. You see, we'll start from Jamaica, head south... He's paying the ransom. He is. And you're free to go. Have you ever thought what your life is going to be like married to that man? Modiford's lumbago, Modiford's bad temper, Modiford's flabby paunches, knock knees, his flat feet. It'll be a steady diet of pale skim milk, my dear. Pale skimmed milk. Wrong diets according to one's tastes, Captain. Now get out of here. Not this time, my dear. Oh, no, not this time. This time I'll have my kiss. I want you to go to Modiford remembering it. Get away from me. Isn't it strange how deeply two people can hate one another and still be so terribly in love? In love? Yes, you can't deny it. Your lips have already given you away. Oh, Judith, stay with me. Don't leave. Stay, darling. Once I said stay, too. But you went. I'd not do it now. Let me pass, Henry. Very well. You can go to that pale, fat little pimple on the face of Jamaica. I'll take him before I'll take a pirate. Then take him. Take him and forget me, if you can. I was able to forget you once, when I was ill for the sight and the sound of you. This time I'll forget you as soon as you're gone. I've learned the knack. Have you? Good day, Captain Henry Morgan. Do send me a souvenir of Panama. Your head would be most acceptable if it could be arranged. Good day, my lady. I hope I never see you again. I hope you never do. In just a moment, we will bring you the second act of Dangerously Yours. And now, here is some good sound advice on what to do when a nasty cold makes you feel so miserable. To help relieve the coughing spasms, the muscular soreness or tightness, the congestion and irritation in upper bronchial tubes, turn to Vicks VapoRub. The moment you rub VapoRub on your throat, chest, and back, it starts to work bringing relief. And results are so very good because VapoRub penetrates, penetrates into the cold-congested upper bronchial tubes with its special soothing medicinal vapors. And at the same time, it stimulates, stimulates chest and back surfaces like a warming, comforting poultice. Now this penetrating, stimulating action of VapoRub keeps on working for hours to bring you grand comfort. So be sure you get VapoRub, because only VapoRub gives you this special penetrating, stimulating action. The best-known home remedy for relieving miseries of children's colds. Vicks Vapor Rub. And now, 
the second act of Dangerously Yours, starring Victor Jory as Henry Morgan, buccaneer of the Windward Passage. Judas, my dear, for, for four weeks you've been in Jamaica and still you refuse to set a date for our wedding. Well, I've not been well, Thomas, and this frightful heat is most depressing. I don't know how I could have lived if you hadn't found me this delightful little house out here in the country. Hmm. Uh, has Morgan sailed for Panama yet? No, no, but he's just about ready. I'm worried about that little plan. There's talk that England and Spain may be at peace, and if, if that is true, he must not attack Panama. Oh, well, well, we shall see. I'll drive back to town now and leave you to your rest. Good night, my dear. You, you, you won't mind if I kiss you. Uh, my hand, Thomas. Hmm. Good night, my dear. Good night, Thomas. Well, you'll see what I meant about his kisses. Henry Morgan, have you been eavesdropping? Well, let's say I've been resting behind those bushes. Oh. My old modifit is even duller than I suspected. I don't know how you stand. I'm not interested in your opinion. Judith, I didn't come here to match wits with you. I, I can't seem to get you out of my mind. At night, I stare through the dark and see your face. I shut my eyes, and you're still there. Through the day, it's the same. You've made me into a moonstruck schoolboy. Oh, Judith, maybe you forgot that kiss. But I can't get it out of my mind. Henry. Judith. <laughs> Judith, you can't marry Modifer. You can't, I tell you. I'll kill him first. Oh, Judith, you do love me, don't you? I never stop loving you, Henry. I tried to stop, but I couldn't. Then will you wait for me until I get back from Panama? Can I sail tonight knowing you'll wait for me? Sail tonight? Yes. If England and Spain sign a peace treaty, Modiford won't dare let me sail. So I'm leaving tonight before that happens. Will you wait, Judith? Oh, yes, Henry, of course I'll wait. Oh, you darling, you darling. Judith, I'll bring you Panama on a gold platter. I'll deck you with jewels. Just bring me yourself, Henry. That's all I ever really wanted. And good night, my dear. And goodbye. God keep you, Henry. And come back to me. Oh, come back to me, my darling. We leave the ships and start inland for Panama City. It will be a long and perilous way that we must go. But at the end of it, if we win, there are enough riches to last us all the rest of our lives. Are there any among you who are faint-hearted? No? Very well. Then prepare to leave ship within the hour. Thomas... Is there news of Morgan? Uh, nothing beyond that last dispatch that said he was fighting his way overland. I wish I'd never listened to the men. There's going to be the very devil to pay now that England and Spain are at peace. If he should fail... He'll not fail. Uh, Judith, when are you going to set a date for our wedding? Soon, Thomas. Soon, when I'm feeling better. Oh. 
Captain Morgan, we can't go on. We must go on. We've had little food for days. Everyone's weak from hunger and sick from heat and insect bites. I'm going back. You've no right to keep us from going back. There are others beside myself who want to return. Then go, you cowards. The brave will keep on. You say the men were starving to death? Yes, my lady. And when Morgan began feeding us leather bags, we figured it was time to quit. Then you think that he... That they're all dead? I'm certain of it, ma'am. Those who didn't die of fever or wounds are rotting somewhere in the jungle right now. Morgan didn't have any more chance of reaching Panama than a bit of fat in a griddle. I pray you're wrong. Oh, I pray you're wrong. Captain, look down there. They've massed their armies in front of the city gates. It's suicide to go down there. Maybe. Maybe not. Men, follow me. We'll take Panama by sundown. Duty there, I shall no longer continue to be the butt of, of all the idle and malicious jesting in Jamaica. And I must inform you that... If you hold to your stubborn refusal to set a date for our marriage, I shall let it be known that I have decided that the marriage will not take place. Oh, Thomas. I have word that proves beyond all shadow of a doubt that, that Morgan's dead. Panama is still in the hands of the Spanish, and I'm a pious fool. Now, are you or are you not going to name a date? You may name it if you like, Thomas. One date is no different from another. Now... Oh, Thomas, will you go now? Will you please go? I'm, I'm not going to try to understand these tears. I, I don't want to understand them. We'll be married one week from Sunday. Will you both kindly kneel? Dearly beloved... We are gathered together in the presence of God in this company to unite this man and woman in the bonds of holy matrimony. Thomas, listen. Will you repeat after me? I, Thomas, take thee, Judith. I, Thomas, take thee, Judith. Thomas, that mob is coming here. To have and to hold. Henry! Oh, Henry! Morgan! Well, I... Seem to have interrupted something. Well, we will continue in a minute or two to tell us the news. News? Oh. Oh, yes, Modifer. We took Panama. You, you, you took Panama? We must talk of this elsewhere. Judith, take Captain Morgan to my library. I'll join you in a moment. I must speak to the minister about completing our wedding ceremony a little later. Yes, Thomas. How proud I am of you. Proud? Proud that you made a fool of me? What? I ate my heart out wanting to get back to you. I brought you more gems than all the queens of Europe possess. I hope their weight sinks you down to the deepest pits of hell. I waited, Henry. They told me you were dead. You were sure I'd failed, weren't you? You thought Modifer would be a safer choice and you'd be a governor's wife. You wanted to be the governor's wife, didn't you? Henry, you're hurting my arm. I want to hurt you, you lying, cheating little fool. Henry, I loved you. I still love you. If you still want me, I'll marry you. I'll go anywhere with you. Don't you understand? 
I thought you were dead. It didn't matter who I married or what became of me if you were dead. I'm sorry I ever listened to you, blast you. You never wanted me, I know that now. You wanted a strong back and a weak head to do your butchery so you and Motherford could be seized in gold to dazzle a folk at court. Henry, you're out of your mind. Out of my mind. I'm sane for the first time since I set eyes on you. I'll show you how a man acts when he's been torn clean in two by a treacherous wind. Oh. He rams the lies. Henry. Oh, Henry. Henry. Stop. Men, seize him. All right, Motherford. Take your rotten horror, Jade. Men, look, look that man up. Put him in the dungeon. I'll send him back to England in irons for this. Henry. Oh, Henry. Don't let him escape, Ben. Make sure of that. I won't even try to escape, Mortiford. Kill me if you like. I don't particularly care now. Perhaps it's time I died. Oh, no. No, Morgan, I'm not going to kill you. I'm sending you back to the king, and I hope he tortures you well before he hangs you. Look at the marks on Judith's throat. I wish I'd killed her. Don't think England will be kind to you. You're, you're going there not only to answer for your attack on Judith, but for your lawless and unwarranted attack on the city of Panama at a time when peace existed between England and Spain. I have your papers which authorized it. They're forgeries. Do you think anyone will take your word against mine when I, I say they're forgeries? No, Morgan. You're going to answer for an attack which in the eyes of his majesty will be looked upon as, as common piracy and will be dealt with as such. You will die for that, Henry Morgan, in disgrace and dishonor. Your Majesty, I'm your humble servant and loyal subject, Henry Morgan. Are you aware that you are charged with enough crimes to hang you three times over? Yes, sire. But I have hanged enough Spaniards to know how to act on the scaffold when my turn comes. You seem to have resigned yourself to the gibbet already. Why? I was told by the governor of Jamaica that it would be my fate. I marvel at Modiford's restraint in sending you to me, considering that you attempted to murder his bride. Tell me, is she beautiful? Beautiful, sire. Ah, oh, yes, she's beautiful. And you love her, eh? No, no, sire, I, I do not. Tad, Tad Morgan, the truth, please. Yes, sire, I do love her. Mm. I thought perhaps you did. Why did you attack Panama? For gold and for glory. The honor and the renown of England. To make England great in the new world and great to posterity so that her gracious king might go down in history crowned with laurel as the man who humbled Spain. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Captain Morgan, in your great zeal, you have uh, perhaps gone beyond the bounds of political expedience. But your devotion to your country cannot be questioned. Nor can your leadership and courage in the face of forces far outnumbering your own. England needs men of your caliber. We hope the peace between England and Spain will be a lasting one. Which makes it imperative that the activities of all buccaneers and pirates cease forthwith. I can think of no one better able to disperse such activities than you. Do you agree? Why, sire, if I had the authority... I think I can scatter all the pirates and buccaneers to the four winds like a flock of crows. Well said. And that authority you shall have. Neil. And now arise, Sir Henry Morgan. And may the trust that I repose in you be held sacred until death. You'll return to Jamaica forthwith and take up your duties as Lieutenant Governor, losing no time in dispersing these nests of freebooters. Sire, my gratitude is deep. 
but I humbly beg that I be sent elsewhere, for the servant of Sir Thomas Motherford would be intolerable. Sir Thomas is being recalled to act as bailiff to a very small and obscure prison. <laughs> You're a rascal, Morgan, but I like you. And I think you'll serve me well. You can depend on that, sire. Oh, Morgan, just one thing. That girl. I can't have you two running around loose. One of you would always be tracking down the other with blood in your eyes. There are really only two solutions. Execution or marriage. Now, I don't like the former because I've already knighted you and it would make me look a little silly to execute you. So I'm afraid that leaves only one alternative. Uh, you'll attend to that, Morgan? Yes, sire. You may rest assured I'll attend to that. <laughs> well... If you'd like to attend to it now, I think you'll find the lady on the other side of that door. I, uh, had a little talk with her, too. <laughs> Judith. Oh, Judith. Henry. Oh, Henry, my darling. What do you think is the best thing to do when the children catch colds? Well, you hear about all sorts of things. But it's a fact that the modern way most young mothers use to relieve miseries of their children's colds is to rub on Vicks VapoRub. And here's the reason. The moment you rub on VapoRub, it starts to work to bring grand relief. Results are so gratifying because VapoRub penetrates. Penetrates into the upper breathing passages with its special medicinal vapors. And at the same time, VapoRub stimulates. Stimulates chest and back surfaces like a comforting warming poultice. Then for hours, this penetrating, stimulating action of VapoRub keeps on working to help relieve coughing spasms, muscular soreness or tightness, congestion and irritation in the upper bronchial tubes. It invites restful sleep, and often, most of the misery of the cold is gone overnight. Remember... The best-known home remedy for relieving miseries of children's colds is Vicks VapoRub. I am adventure. Next week, meet a man who matched his wits against the enemy in occupied France. The daring spy of assignment in Brittany. Until next week, then, I am dangerously yours. Our script was written by Gene Holloway and based on the book Windward Passage by Hamilton Cochran. Dangerously Yours was directed by Richard Sandville. Lady Judith was played by Gertrude Warner. Music for the series is under the direction of Mark Warno. Be sure and listen again next week when Vix presents Dangerously Yours, starring Victor Jory. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. You can find more from Theater Royal, Dangerously Yours, the Relic Radio Show, and everything else Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. Thousands of episodes to listen to and our shoutcast stream with even more old-time radio, all brought to you by you. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes it happen. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Tuesday with another hour of the Relic Radio Show.